The Healthy Alabama podcast is sponsored by Enroll Alabama, a program that enrolls Alabamians in the health insurance marketplace. Enroll Alabama is a project of AIDS Alabama. For more information, visit the website AIDSAlabama.org. Welcome to another edition of the Healthy Alabama podcast, sponsored by Enroll Alabama, a project of AIDS Alabama and produced in partnership with Praise 90.1 FM WJLU. I'm David Person, and I am glad to have with me in the studio, you know, I say that every episode. I'm always glad that people are with me in the studio, because otherwise it would just be me running my mouth. Uh, instead, I get experts who come in and address issues. And I've got an expert here with me, in the studio who has just opened a new business called the Legacy Center. Yeah. And that's Shonda Crutcher. It is. Shonda, Thank you for having me. Good to have you here. Mm-hmm. So the Legacy Center is a center that deals with aging issues, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's why I wanted to have you in today because all of the data shows that we're living longer mm-hmm. and with the length of life, I would say, more challenges, right? Yes, definitely, definitely. There was a study that recently came out subsequent to the U.S. Census Bureau numbers that shows that we will have more adults 65 and older by the year 2030 than we have children or adolescents 18 and under. And, David, that will be the first time that has ever happened in U.S. history. And so not only is that 65 and older the fastest-growing demographic mm-hmm. in our nation, but because of medical advances and technology, they're living longer. And so we're just having to face issues socially, medically, that we have not had to face in the volume that we're seeing before, and it, it gives us a tremendous opportunity. You know, the one thing that I'd just like to lead off with, just kind of maybe set the tone even of this dialogue, is that we really have to not look at aging as just disease and diagnoses, okay. because I know some pretty dynamic 80 and 90 and even centurions that are living life to the fullest, but it is that the volume has caused for us to definitely look at aging in a very comprehensive way. So... You make a good point. I've seen people who are in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who seem extremely vibrant yeah. and lucid and in great shape, yeah. really. Yeah. But that doesn't seem to be the case for most people, though. Aren't those people anomalies? Uh, anomalies? Aren't they outliers? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm running into them more and more in the, the circles in which I run, and especially with the Legacy Center. I mean, we're seeing people that are 80 years old and and driving and some working to whatever degree that they can still work. Thelma Fuquay, a 94-year-old client that doesn't mind me sharing her story. She's a matriarch here in the community. Many may know her. But I was talking to Ms. Fuquay one day, and I said, you know, what is quality of life for you? And I wanted to say in this season, but I've learned to not front load my questions that way with the older adults that I encounter. I said, what is quality of life for you? And she said, Shonda, I want to live as long as I am living. And that is the norm. And so living may be with modification. Living may definitely mean more strategic supports. But I am finding that the bulk of older adults that I'm engaging in their 70s, 80s, and yes, even 90s, whether they have cognitive impairments or not, they have an internal desire to live life to the fullest. 
some of them are sicker than others. Some of them may not be able to even tell you what they had for breakfast this morning, but you get them at a ballet bar with the right music, or you put on some Ooh. Elvis Presley, or you reminisce a little bit about how they met their spouse, and you will see them come alive. And that's what the Legacy Center is all about. I think that's what this message is all about right now, is just really realizing that an 80-year-old, a 90-year-old will tell you that they don't feel 80 or 90 on the inside, even if they're laying in a hospital bed. Yeah, they still, and I mean, even at my age, I'm 55, I look at myself in the mirror, mm -hmm. and even though I see that physically I'm not who I was 20, mm -hmm. 30 years ago, I think in a lot of ways in my head, when I think about myself, I still see myself and think of myself as I was 20, 30 years yes. ago. That's what you're talking yes, about. Yes, exactly, exactly. We've predicated the aging conversation. Yeah. Or we've limited it to being one about retirement communities and Social Security and Medicaid and nursing homes when really what I hear seniors screaming, even those that need those resources, mm -hmm. is see me as an individual first. I have a long life that I've lived and I still want to be seen as that person. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But I also think that the aging question is a weighted one because there is the elephant in the room, and that is that we all know the longer you live, the closer you are to death. Yes. And then, of course, what we see as people age is, and I've, and I've got a mother who has dementia, mm -hmm. I'm seeing it firsthand. I'm seeing the deterioration of mind and body. Mm -hmm. So we see those milestones along the way, mm -hmm. and they are a reminder of the inevitable. Yes. How do we then shift the paradigm to, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grooving. Life yes. is cool. Yes. And it's, you know, I'm, what does the young people say these days? I'm, I'm turned up or turned up, turned up, I'm turned up, turned up at 90 or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think it comes to a point where I've seen the seniors that have done it well. Because just like we encounter people every day that are living their best life where they are, mm -hmm. you have some seniors that are still choosing to live their best life. And I think those that I have tried to identify best practices and um, extract things that I can apply even in my own life or as I engage others, the one thing that I'm seeing to be consistent is that they are trying to figure out how to finish well. So best life may not be perfect life. Yes. Best life could be I'm going to enjoy the things that I can enjoy, understanding that maybe physical limitations, yes. if I have any, yes. may not allow me to do all that I would want to do, but I'm going to do what I can. Yes, that's one part. You know, the mind is definitely something that limits. Some seniors are not as sharp as they once was. Some are sharper. But some are not as sharp as they once was. We do have cognitive impairments that disproportionately affect black and brown communities. What so, oh wait, we gotta stop there. Yes, sir. When you say that, we gotta stop there. Mm -hmm. What are those things? Yes. A lot of your physicians attribute it to diet and lifestyle, but there's vascular dementias, there's other forms of dementias, then there's Alzheimer's that can impair short term memory. There's alcohol-induced dementia. So some things are lifestyle-driven. But whatever the case may be, when you look at the national trends and the numbers, African Americans are disproportionately affected by cognitive impairments. And so, as, they age. as, as they we age, age, as we age. So we once called it senility, but cognitive impairments are not a normal symptom of aging. Well, what about this? What about 
it's just the byproduct of being black in America and dealing with, you know, 400 years of either slavery, which began in 1619. This is the 400th anniversary of, uh, you know, the time we're taping this podcast. It's the 400th anniversary of the first, or the arrival of the first slave in this hemisphere. And then the Emancipation Proclamation, which, you know, if you really examine the history, it's a little bit dubious, but nonetheless, let's take that for what it is. But then that's immediately followed by the Black Codes, the Ku, Ku Klux Klan, convict leasing, lynching, land theft, Jim Crow, which stretches into, you know, literally stretches into the 60s, you know, when, when many of us were born, like myself. And and then, you know, you're dealing with the residual effect of all of that. I mean, can't that be part of the problem? Most definitely. And I'll tell you what I have to ask myself on a daily basis. Now that we know that, now that we recognize that that may all come into causing the situation to be what it is, David, so what now? We can't just accept it as what it is and not be even the more deliberate about our population not being the last to get the information that are going to help them and most importantly even are just as important mm -hmm. the generations to come behind them because we are burying legacy you know there are, are black and brown families and, and white ones too that i deal with on a regular basis that once an individual gets a cognitive impairment whether it's genetic or whether it's environmental, once they get a cognitive impairment, the ability to reconcile anything is now diminished. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of things that are getting stunted, and each generation is having to start over because we are not reconciling things soon enough. So, so my position is because we know that our populations are disproportionately affected. Well, I don't, we, I don't know how many of us actually know that. Okay. And I don't yeah. know how many of us actually put together the fact The causation. That, thank you, the causation. I yeah. don't know how many of us do. Some of us do. Yes. But I don't think most of us do. So maybe that's the first action item. And I, and I thank mm -hmm. you for having me on your show today because you're the first. You are the first to say, let's sit down and have this dialogue. I think we need to have more of these type conversations. And so maybe that's the first action item. But I think there needs to be more of this and more of this out there. Sure. And I agree with you that it can't just stop there. Yeah. You know, we can't just say, okay, this is the history, this is the causation, mm -hmm. and that's that. No, we've got to also think about, and what do we do? And what do we do now? Yeah. What do we do now? And I think one of the things that we do now is not wait until 60s and 70s or 80s to start having a conversation about what if. The conversation about aging needs to happen right where you are. So if that is 30, the time to start talking about the aging years of either you or your parents or your grandparents is right now. I'm 45. I have a will. I have an advanced directive. I have burial plots. I have had dialogue with my family members about if something happens right. to me even in this place. But I've also engaged conversation with my parents about how they define quality of life because I see the worst-case scenarios that could be managed better with just a little bit of conversation. Hmm. Let's linger here just for a little bit more. As you were talking, a thought crossed my mind. You know, we're talking about the mental and emotional well-being of our seniors mm -hmm. here. 
And I've come to realize that a lot of our seniors, or at least this is what I suspect, let me say that, I don't know if I can prove this, but I certainly sense this, that a lot of our seniors are carrying real baggage, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And I think about, and I'm just going to be very transparent here, I'm thinking about my father, for Mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. My father and one of his brothers did not speak to each other for 30 or 40 years. My father, I know, had some very real, some very strong feelings of hurt and betrayal toward my grandmother, his mother, because of things that happened in his childhood. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but think that those family dynamics were part of what created the environment in his body that allowed for cancer to fester. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Yeah, I think stress does come into play, and whether that's relational stress or just the stress to provide for a family, economic stressors, environmental stressors, I think societal societal stressors, I think stress definitely comes into play and affects our bodies. But again, I think the very simple introductory way to deal with those stressors are to talk about them. And sometimes those of us that are a little bit removed from the dynamics are in the best position to engage the difficult conversations. Yeah, so where does that start? For example, I've got a friend, true story, Mm -hmm. got a friend who suspects that her mother was sexually abused. Yes. And she's in the helping field, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. you are. Mm -hmm. So she asked her mother Mm -hmm. directly, Mm -hmm. did this happen to you? Mm Mm-hmm. No, that didn't happen to me. She told me, oh, I know she's lying. Mm-hmm. Because she's mm-hmm. seen the signs. Mm-hmm. She's, mm-hmm. she's watched her mother enough, and because she's in the helping field, she knows what to look for. Mm-hmm. 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 What do you do with that? You know, we give our family the least and the most. We give them the least information a lot of times, David, and the most grief. And sometimes it takes somebody who is just not as intimately engaged or could possibly be intimately affected by. I have a client right now out in the Decatur area that she shielded a lot of exploitation and things that were going on here locally with her daughter who lived out of state because she didn't want to put that burden on her. But when I walked in the door, she was able to very vividly, very accurately articulate everything that had occurred by the person she was victimized by, which happened to be her son. And she didn't want to create the dynamic between the daughter and the son. And so she didn't share within family Mm. relationships. Mm. 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 So I, I think isolation can be such a contributor to seniors and older adults not being able to go back and reconcile. You know, I'm here today. I was able to pull up in a car, get out, come in, didn't have any mobility issues, thank God, to get into here. You're able to sit there. And so whereas we wouldn't be able to engage this type of conversation if we weren't able to meet up in this place, we're able to touch some real-life issues right now. But you think about it, and the reason we're having this conversation is because we run into each other enough Mm-hmm. out in the community and had those little short spurts mm-hmm. that we knew that this needed to happen. But for seniors that are not driving anymore, 
they're, they're not in, as engaged in their social activities anymore. They're becoming more and more isolated. It's not just about mama being in her ways. You have to think how many ways is this affecting mom? And, and my advice would be to get her to plug back into a healthy network that could ultimately maybe lead her down a road where she could share her which, story. Which may not include her own daughter. Which may not include her on the front end. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, mm-hmm. uh, we, we got real. We did. We chased we that rabbit. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's come back into the sunlight for a minute. Yes. Talk about the Legacy Center. What are you yes. doing there? What's, yes. what, what's the goal there? Love the concept. Um, David, I, I looked around me here in, and when I, and not just Huntsville, but in Alabama in the South, I've been out as far as Seattle and then back up to New York and down to Florida where everyone retires to see what does this aging thing look like? How are we taking care of our seniors? And I really could not find a model that I would be interested in. You know, you hear everybody say, well, would you put your mama there? I wasn't interested in where I would or would not put my mother. I wanted to find a model that if I reach the point, if I'm blessed enough to see the years where I need to have support of any kind, how I would want that to look for myself. Because I I think you've heard me say this before. I believe the meal that we're cooking now, we're going to have to eat it. Some of us more sooner than others. And I couldn't find anything that was just something that I could say, this is it. There are some beautiful options out there for those who are independently wealthy or who have access to resources at the tune of ninety to a hundred thousand dollars a year in many environments it can take that. And they're also not as beautifully affixed environments, but they're choices for those that are impoverished. But for the hard working middle class, I want to leave my kids a legacy. You know, I want to have something that I can gift to them when I'm gone that's tangible. And I couldn't find that model. And so I went over to Amsterdam and visited the Dementia Village, and it just got me to thinking, well, maybe the answer. Explain what that is, the Dementia Village. What is that? In um, the Netherlands, they have taken four city blocks, and they've created a concept, an environment, where those with cognitive impairments can thrive, the way you and I would thrive in a normal community. There's a restaurant. There's a pub. There's a beauty shop, a library. There's a beautiful theater. There's a grocery store. So, David, these are people who have cognitive issues that that environment has said, not on our watch. We relegate them to a sterile, cold environment to live out their final days. So what makes it different, this dementia village, than what, what, I mean, because you've got, pubs and stores and whatever else all around us, right? Yes. It's a safe place. It's Everyone is trained on uh-huh. cognitive impairments. The people that work in the supermarket are actually care staff. Mm. It is a safe place for them. There's only one entry in and one out. So it was, they're very deliberate about how they take care of those with cognitive impairments. But I, I tell you, when I visited, I had to keep reminding myself, that I was in a place for those with cognitive impairments because it was something that I enjoyed being a part of. Hmm. Yeah. So living quarters, everything, everything, all in one place. But it would blow your mind. It's not a 400 square foot 
bedroom that we see in a lot of our, or maybe at the best, a 900-square-foot bedroom that we see in a lot of our assisted living, and definitely our skilled nursing facilities are going to give you far less, they're apartments. And they look like they, they call it lifestyle living. So, you know, as someone who's been a radio personality, very engaged in community, your home would look much different, and the people that lived with you would look much different than maybe the homemaker who was really into culture mm-hmm. and art. You know, it just may okay. look a little different. And that's how they set up their community. And, and that wasn't the end-all, be-all, because I knew it had to be something custom for here, but I knew that lifestyle had to be at the foundation. Went to Cozumel, Mexico, and, and I learned there that there was a nursing home next to an orphanage. And so there was a lot of intergenerational things taking place. And I would have moved in in a heartbeat if my need was there. And whereas you're going to pay $6,500, $7,000 a month private pay for a nursing home here in the United States or definitely in Huntsville, Alabama, $500 a month, David. And you could eat off their floors. Government subsidized? or In not? Mexico? Yeah. No. It was, it was run by the church. It was a Catholic facility. Oh. But $500 a month, and it was community. You saw community. You felt community. There were people well into their 90s, and they were engaging with the teenagers um, that were there, and they didn't know we were coming. So it wasn't staged. Mm-hmm. It wasn't fabricated. And so the Legacy Center, the goal of the Legacy Center is to be a model that can be duplicated all throughout our community and communities around our nation that invite community to come and be a part of the narrative with the senior at the middle. What does that mean tangibly yes. and practically? Yes. We got churches involved to say we believe that people are mind, body, spirit. Can you come and do what you do and speak to the spiritual component of the people that we have coming in and also the people immediately around us in the community? So we have five different churches so far. We hope to have ten that have come on board and said we'll be partners. We have church services right now on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Sunday. We hope to have them on every other day of the week so that community feels supported from a faith-based perspective. Um, We knew that we needed children. So we partnered with Maitland Conservatory and Ileon School of Dance, and we teach piano lessons, voice lessons, art, ballet, jazz, modern dance classes for children. You teach it to children. We teach it to children. But the, ch- but the children come in and in- engage interactively with the adults with Alzheimer's because we have an okay. Alzheimer's Day program okay. there as well. Mm-hmm. And so we have seniors that take piano classes. We have seniors that take voice lessons. We have a ballet and balance class every Thursday. And so, but what Maitland and Ileans contribute, they bring in that, that child piece through homeschool programs, through our after-school programs, and they also work with our older adults because it's been shown through studies the impact that music has on memory. Mm-hmm. So we, we are piloting a program starting next month called the Alzheimer's Music Project to just be able to test someone's cognitive status at the beginning of the process and see what happens with six months of being very deliberate in exposing them to music and dance and intergenerational activity. Does it have to be the music of their youth, or can it be any music? You know, we mix it up. We do an assessment to see what is the music that gets them moving is what we how okay. we refer to it. it. The pendulum has kind of swung. We've been really shocked that our little 
gray-haired ladies tend to like <laughs> they like rap music david and i mean i'm what? not talking about black and brown ladies the other they like the rhythm of it okay. they they like the rhythm of it and so we can find the right okay. music with that beat and that rhythm they like it we sample different things with them they also love elvis they love the gaithers um guess, and well that's so, what i would assume yes 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 but they also that krs you know you know they common common is they love they kind of like yeah they like common they like common okay yes they like his music they like his music yeah they like his music they like his music and um and so we've just been testing a few things and it's all a little bit of trial and error but that's what life is and that shouldn't stop when someone has a cognitive impairment or they turn eight, you know, we come with a lifetime warranty and, and we should be helping people to walk that out until they're done. What does that mean? We come with a lifetime warranty. What I mean when I say that yeah. is that as long as we're here, we deserve to have every opportunity possible to live life at the fullest and have the highest quality of life possible where we are. It's in scripture. It's in the Constitution. It should be a part of our cultures of community and caring communities, living, livable communities is what AARP calls it. But we should be committed to not just putting people in different environments that can meet their needs, but being communities that sit back and say, what if? What if this person could laugh a little more? What if this person could tap back into something that they did back when and add value. What if they could teach me something? I ask myself, every day I walk in, I'm like, what if one of these clients that have Alzheimer's, that have limited mobility, David, what if they could teach me something? Mm-hmm. Two quick questions mm-hmm. for you before we get out yeah. of here. Question one is, you're, I know the Legacy Center is uh, faith-based. You're a minister. Your father's a minister. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the person who doesn't have faith or yeah. whose faith is not of the Christian variety? Yeah. When we say we're faith-based, um, it is not about pushing any particular religion or theology. What that means to us at the core is a mandate to love God and love people. That's individualized. That is what fuels our motivation to do what we do. I have clients who are agnostic. Mm-hmm. I have clients who are atheists. I have clients who are um, of the Christian faith and I have clients who we just don't know. Spirituality for some may be gardening. Spirituality for some may be chanting. We try to get in and figure out where they are and how we can best assist them in being their best selves. That's not about pushing mm-hmm. a particular theology. It's about being who we say we are. Okay. Yeah. My final question is this. You've got a center that's dedicated to addressing the issue of aging. You've been in this field, geriatrics, for... Over 25 years. Yeah, I was going to say it's been a long time. Yeah. What, what have you concluded in terms of how you, <laughs> as somebody who's an expert and who's dedicated <laughs> your life to this, what have you concluded about how you plan to age and <laughs> want to age and what techniques you're going to use to try <laughs> to age in such a way that you're living life to its fullest yeah that is evolving for me daily david you know i told you i just got back this morning from a diversity summit up in detroit and so answering that question today may be a little bit different than it was a couple of days ago but today it is being a lifetime learner 
making sure that I'm committed to always evolving and growing, making sure that I'm surrounding myself with people who don't necessarily look like me, think like me, believe like me, and allowing my mind to stay stimulated. And as intellectuals, we can be very reflective beings and constantly looking back to try to understand or focused on the future so that we can be better, do better. Today, I think aging well for me is being more present in the moment, loving who's in front of me, being careful about what I eat that's right in front of me, not projecting a diet that's going to last two months or even two years, but making the right decisions in the moment, parking at the parking space that's a little bit further out so I can get my steps in in that moment. I think when we make it too complicated, we make it easy for people to listen to a podcast like this and to turn it off when it's done and to get back about the business of doing nothing. So my biggest advice is aging well is what you do right where you are. That's a good note to end on. Strong, strong words, strong advice from Shonda Crutcher, the founder of the Legacy Center, and someone whose life, uh, as I've known you, has been really committed, I think, very demonstrably committed to aging and serving those who are aging. Thank you. Thank you so much. For joining us. Hope you'll have us back. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) You're always welcome on the Healthy Alabama podcast. The Healthy Alabama podcast is sponsored by Enroll Alabama, a project of AIDS Alabama. It's produced in partnership with WJOU 90.1 FM here in Huntsville, Alabama, on the beautiful campus of Oakland University. Our theme music was produced by my man DJ Bailey, as they say on the ones and twos. He created that uh, that pulsating. We were talking earlier about music, right? So that pulsating music that... Uh, that you hear in the background right now. I'm David Person, host and producer. Until next time, be healthy.